Thank you for listening to the Faith Bible Church podcast. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit us at faithbiblemd.org. I invite you to take your copy of the Word of God, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We continue on in our study through the book of Hebrews, and we are in verse 31, just one verse in chapter 11, and then a whole bunch of other verses that you may or may not like this morning. almost felt like I needed to give a uh, warning on this one as uh, we're dealing with some challenging uh, historical, cultural issues that were taking place back then as are today. And I'm just going to tell you what God's Word says on these things. But, yeah, now you're like, ooh, I really got your attention, don't I? Okay, well, look at the verse. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient, but had, she had welcomed the spies in with peace. Well, this is very interesting. Uh, quite a week. You may have saw on the news that there was a congressional hearing where the Justice Department was being questioned as to why they didn't charge Hunter Biden with violating the Mann Act. The Mann Act is the law that criminalizes the transportation of any woman or girl across state lines for the purpose of prostitution, debauchery, or any other immoral activity. And then Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene showed the evidence, the messages, and pictures that were recovered off of Hunter Biden's own computer, proving that he in fact had done these things and had taken video of it all, and the congressional hearing was trying to figure out why he was not charged with criminal behavior. Well, I guess we'll just never know why he wasn't charged. But the pictures are now forever admitted into the record of Congress, and it's on public record. Mm, yikes. Prostitution has been around for a very long time, said to be one of the world's oldest professions. And when you study the Bible, you're, it's going to come up on more than one occasion. It's not glamorized. It's not spoken of in a positive manner. In fact, it's against the law of Moses to even engage in such activities. As we see, book of Deuteronomy, where God commanded, none of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, nor shall any of the sons of Israel be cult prostitute. You shall not bring the hire of a harlot or the wage of a dog into the house of the Lord, your God, for any volatile offering for both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. Repeated again in Leviticus, you shall not take a woman who is profaned by harlotry. You shall not take a woman divorced from her husband, for he is holy to his God. That's the law of Moses. Nevertheless, there are occasions when the topic does come up in the narrative passages in the Old Testament. It was still around and happening. But it's kind of shocking to read in Hebrews chapter 11 that a harlot named Rahab is in the by faith chapter. Bumped a lot of famous Old Testament characters to include a prostitute. What about prophet, priest, and judge Samuel? Got two books written after him. King David or King Solomon. They wrote all the wisdom, all the poetry. Elijah so revered that he was going to return before the second coming of Jesus. The major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, who built the temple and rebuilt all of Jerusalem are excluded here. Or if you want to give the ladies some rep representation, okay, well, what about Queen Esther or Ruth? They both have Old Testament entire books about their lives. Rahab the harlot, first of all, she's not a Hebrew. Second of all, she's a prostitute. Those are the two worst things you could be, according to the Jews, a Gentile prostitute. 
Oh boy, it's going to be an interesting sermon this week. May sound scandalous, but actually I think you'll find that this story has great hope. There's going to be a lot of heaviness, but there's great hope if you stick with me and don't storm out. There's great hope here today for those of us, especially who maybe don't have such a pristine track record. We're going to see that before this is over. So let's see what we can learn from the faith of Rahab. Last week, we studied the great meaning behind the walls of Jericho. It was a very deep sermon. It included a VeggieTales song. I'm not sure how it could be a deep sermon and include a VeggieTales song, but that's just how the Spirit moves me to write these. But the story of Rahab takes place prior to the walls falling down. So now we've got to go back to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 to start off. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men to, as spies secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came into the house of a harlot, whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight and to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you and have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Okay, let's do some emotional hermeneutic. You're a spy entering the land of Canaan. Your job is to scout out the terrain and get intel on the enemy, especially the city of Jericho. But here's the thing. These spies, they've never seen a 007 movie. They, they have not been to the spy museum up in D.C., and uh, they've never had any, uh, any special government CIA training or FBI training or anything like that. Some of you guys in here who have that. My point is, is I think I probably have more spy know-how than these guys who've been wandering around in the wilderness. That's all they've been doing for their entire lives. I suspect they're not really all that good at the job. And since the king of Jericho was informed that these Israelites were staying at Rahab's house, I think my observation's pretty spot on. If the spy's uh, job is to not get discovered, well, they failed in verse 2. But here's my question. Why did they stay at a harlot's house to begin with? Hmm, I wonder. Probably not that hard to figure out. You're in a foreign town. You know nothing about it. Nobody knows you. You got no business there. No family or friends to stay with. It's not like you can look up on your cell phone and get a Holiday Inn reservation. Where is the most welcoming place for you to stay? Who's inviting you in? prostitute. Well, that's what she does. She stands at the streets and invites young guys over. And these guys, they've spent their entire life with the wilderness following Moses. Maybe they don't know too much about prostitutes. Anyways, it's not like they have any other options. So they're staying there. And if you think about it, that would be quite normal for the neighbors to see just strangers coming and going from Rahab's place. Now, we have to remember to not westernize these details. We can't impose our culture and what we think and feel about prostitution onto the historical setting of the city of Jericho in the land of Canaan. Canaan, the Canaanites. God gave specific commands to Moses in Leviticus chapter 18, all the laws against immoral sexual activity, including incest, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, and he throws child sacrifice in there as well. He commands Israel not to do any of these practices. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 through 23. A little homework for you. You can go home and read all of that yourself. Just write that down. Leviticus 18, 1 through 23. 
I'm going to pick it up after he lists all those things that you're not supposed to do. This is what he says in verse 24. Do not defile yourself by any of these things, for by these the nations which I am casting out before you have become defiled. The land has become defiled. Therefore, I brought its punishment upon it. So the land has spewed out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not do any of the abominations, neither the native nor the alien who sojourns among you. For the men of the land who have been before you have done all these abominations and the land has become defiled so that the land will not spew you out should you defile it as it spewed out the nations which were before you. Whoever does any of these abominations, those person who do so shall be cut off from among their people. Thus, you shall keep my charge. You shall not do the practices of any of the abominable customs which have been practiced before you so as not to defile yourself with them. I am the Lord, your God. God specifically says, all the people in the land of Canaan are doing these things. This is why I'm punishing them. This is why God is executing them and he's bringing the wrath. Israel is God's wrath upon the land. Let's make an application. Despite what you've heard, God did not change his standard on these practices. Immorality is still defiling. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Galatia. The book of Galatians chapter 5, the deeds of the flesh, they are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says to a church, do not do these things. Those who do these things do not inherit the kingdom of God. God exterminates the Canaanites for their defiling practices. But people today think, even though they're engaging in these practices, well, God will bless me. There are people in organizations in our culture who are working hard to normalize and legalize things that God says is an abomination. Well, just last month, a video of the New York City drag queen marchers were chanting, we're here, we're queer, and we're coming for your children. That video was seen by 5 million people. An NBC article said that phrase is used at Pride events for years. That's just what they like to chant. The evidence of those boasts are seen all through the public school curriculums. All the themed LGBTQ themed books, movies, children's programs, they're everywhere. I get it. This is not pleasant stuff to come to church and hear about Hunter Biden and all this perversion. But folks, listen to me now. Here, and maybe some conservative media outlets, it's probably the only place you're going to hear the truth on these things. Because no government-run institution is going to speak the truth. People can get in serious trouble at work telling the truth. You get canceled for saying the wrong thing online. And the media... It's the last place you're going to hear the truth. And even in many churches, they're not going to get up and preach the truth about what God says in his word. And there's just not too many people left who are going to say it anymore. So I'm sorry. Please don't tell me you don't want to hear it in church. If I don't speak it, 
then the voice of truth will go silence and the darkness grows and the light goes dim. But based on what God said in Leviticus about all the people of the land doing these defiling things, we conclude that prostitution in Jericho, that was no big deal because all this immorality was commonplace. And just to quote a historian on the fact, Dr. Clay Jones writes an article, The Horror of Canaanite Children's Family Lives. This is kind of nasty stuff. He writes, life was hard on Canaanite children because, among other things, the Canaanites committed two types of sins which damaged their children. Archaeological evidence shows that the Canaanites were incestuous people. Sexual molestation was a horrible crime in our society, and it should be, but the Canaanite society, their god Baal, he raped his sister many, many times. Baal had raped incestuous intercourse with his daughter, and at his godfather's urging, had intercourse with his mother. That's their... Theology. We should expect if the Canaanites worshipped a God who did these things, the Canaanites adapted their God's behaviors and such. That's what the Old Testament teaches us they were doing. But worse than the molestation and rape is the offering of their children as burnt sacrifices to their God, Moloch. And he was a Canaanite deity of the underworld, represented with a bull head and a human body. And they had this big idol where they put this big fire in his belly with his outstretched arms. They would put their children on the arms of Moloch and burn them alive. And it was said that they would play their instruments very loud to drown out the screams. This is what Plutarch, the historian, writes. That they raised the volume of the music to drown out the wails of the children. This is Canaan. This is everyday life for Rahab's people. Her profession is just business as usual. And maybe that has something to do with the decision to help these Hebrews. Maybe she doesn't have any loyalty to her people and her culture because all they've ever done is used and abused her. The Israelites, they can't be any worse than this. Well, we don't have to speculate about her motives. Let's just listen to her words. Joshua chapter 2. Let's go back there to verse number 4. So the king says word, but Rahab had taken the two men, hid them, and said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. They came about when it was time to shut the gates that the men went out, and I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, you'll overtake them. But she had brought them to the roof and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing them were gone out, they shut the gate. Now, before they lay down, she came up to the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you have fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites before on the, beyond the Jordan, Shihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When I heard it, when we heard it, our hearts melted. No courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth beneath. Now, therefore, please swear to me by the Lord, since I've dealt kindly with you, that you will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth. Spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, our lives for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about that when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. 
Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, so that she was living on the wall. She said to them, go to the hill country so that the pursuers will not happen upon you. Hide yourself there three days until the pursuers return. Then afterwards, you may go on your way. And the men said, we shall be free from this oath to you, which you've made to us swear, unless when you, we come into the land, you tie that cord of red scarlet in the window through which you let us down. Gather to yourself into the house, your father and your brother, mother and your brothers and all your father's household. It shall come about that anyone who goes outdoors of your house into the streets, his blood will be on his own head. We shall be free. But anyone who, who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. I'm not really going to preach this, but notice the um, parallels to the, um, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of Egypt and the passing over. Very, very similar. But it shall... It, but if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be made free from the oath which we have made us swear. Verse 21, she said, according to your words, so be it. So she sent them away and they departed and they, she tied the red scarlet in, cord in the window. They departed and they came to the hill country and remained there for three days until the pursuers returned. Then the pursuers had sought them all along the roads, but they could not find them. The two men returned and came down to, from the hill country and crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they relayed to him all that had happened to them. Joshua, They said to Joshua, Surely the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Moreover, all the inhabitants of the land are melted away from us. So we see the spies. They're not very good at lying low and, and flying under the radar. They're identified and reported to the king. Now Rahab, on the other hand, she is really good at this whole spy deception game. She hides these two guys, fakes out the king's men. Oh, you just missed them. They're on their way to the Jordan. Go get them. Meanwhile, she's got them hiding up in the roof. Talk about smuggling and human trafficking. She smuggles the guys out of the city. This girl's very clever. But why would she do this? These people, the Israelites, are invading her land. They are enemies to her people. Well, they might be enemies to her people, but to her, she sees them as an opportunity for salvation. One of the challenges facing us, you, every day out there in the community trying to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the challenges facing missionaries in our land and missionaries around the world in all these different cultures that they go into with the gospel of Jesus Christ is people are loyal to their cultural norms and the religion of their people. Experience governs expectation. You know, I was raised up to believe these things. These are my people. This is what I was taught in school. This is my culture. I'm devoted to these beliefs. That's an understandable way of thinking, except there is something hardwired into our DNA, a source code that the Creator has put in our hearts. God has set eternity in the hearts of men, Ecclesiastes, he made everything appropriate to his time, and he said eternity into their hearts. This overriding source code tells us when our culture and our upbringing is violating the laws of our creator. 
Paul writes in Romans chapter 2, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience bears witness of their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them. The law of God written on our hearts. And then Paul enlightens us in Romans chapter one, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them. God made it evident to them for since creation of the world, his invisible attributes, attributes his eternal power, his divine nature, clearly seeing, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. This is what we term, theologians describe as general revelation. General revelation refers to the general truths that can be known about God through creation, through nature. The psalmist declares, the heavens declare, are telling the glory of God. The expanse is declaring the work of his hands Day to day, pouring forth speech, night to night, revealing knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone through all the earth. Then their utterance is to the end of the world. So there is no speech. There are no words. There is no voice that has not heard creation shout the praises of God. So in reference to Rahab and all other cultures and their religions, the point here is, despite how we were raised, we can plainly see when our culture and beliefs are wrong because the laws of God are written on our hearts and on our conscience. Maybe you didn't see this this week. I'm sorry I have to always bring bad news. But there was a very disturbing story coming out of Wisconsin that made the national headlines as a couple was arrested after their young children were seen walking through the neighborhood covered in feces and blood. Perhaps unsurprising to many people, the parents of these two boys appeared to be obsessed with witchcraft and Satanism. The children were age seven and nine. Were, they were saved from their guardians after busting out of the window in their own room and wandering out into the neighborhood. Officers arrived to discover the kids all matted with feces in their hair. And when they entered the house... The, it was just a horrible situation. It just smeared, poop smeared all over the walls. And they couldn't even find the floor. There was so much trash in there. In the kids' bedrooms, they were treated like animals. Padlocks on their doors and, uh, and wood on the, on the windows uh, boarded all up. And the prosecutors looking to charge the couple told the judges that the boys were completely uneducated, seven and nine, not potty trained, and unable to function in society, like a human being. 34-year-old parents, Katie Koch, 38-year-old stepdad, Joel Mankey, facing 40 years of prison if convicted on 10 felony counts of neglect and false imprisonment. And looking at these people's social media pages, both Koch and Mankey, it's apparent that the couple shared an affinity for Satanism, witchcraft, and the occult. He was always wearing pentagram gear and all of his photos, and she described herself on her Instagram as a witch and promoted satanic fashion brands. So, when your beliefs and your worldviews result in your treating your home and your children in that manner, it's pretty obvious something's seriously wrong with your beliefs 
and your worldview. It's time for a change. And the only way we can save this nation is one person at a time, one family at a time has to change. Rahab realizes she can't save Jericho, she can't save her culture, but she could save herself and she could save her family if she makes a change. And so she asked them, spare my family, spare my, my people. And they said, my lies for yours. Come into this house, put that cord, stay in here, and we will deal kindly with you. Would you like to make a change to save your family? that could lead to saving your culture? Okay, let me draw your attention to what I believe is really the key point and the big idea of this entire account. There are two statements of faith that Rahab makes. Verse number nine, I know that the Lord has given you the lands. Now, wait a sec. These, these guys, Jer Israel has not even entered the land yet. They haven't crossed the Jordan yet. In uh, chapter 2, no battles have even been fought. Jericho's a walled city that we studied last week with a great army. How does she know Yahweh has given them the land? Well, let's remember the author of Hebrews' definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So verse 9 is a clear-cut statement of faith that Rahab has in the work of Yahweh. Think about it. Rahab, she has more faith than the entire generation of Israelites who were delivered out of Egypt. Because they saw the Red Sea parted, and they didn't believe that God would give them the land. Rahab, she's never seen the mighty works of God. She, she's only heard about them. She's convinced your God has given you the land. And that's just like us. When we read the Bible and we study the works of God, we, like Rahab, we have to accept these things by faith. Anybody seen the Noah's Ark? Never seen it, right? Now, I never saw the Red Sea parted. We've never seen the sun stand still for a day or, or men walk out of a fiery furnace completely unharmed. We've never seen any of the miraculous things that God did in the Old Testament, and I don't have to. I, like Rahab, believe them all by faith. But some will argue, well, that's just not good enough. I need 100% proof if I'm going to believe in God, I need some 100% proof. That is not true. You are not being honest. Nobody lives their life like that in any other setting of your life. If you needed 100% proof before you would believe things and do things, you'd never get out on the road. You'd never drive anywhere. Nobody can give you 100% proof that you'd be safe driving up and down 235. Matter of fact, I can give you plenty of evidence that says it's not safe. There's over 14,000 car accidents every year. There's one crash every six minutes in the United States of America. And yet, despite the facts, you believed you could drive here and be completely fine, worry-free, not a problem. You don't need 100% proof on anything in your life. You believe all kinds of things without proof. You believe your money's well invested in your retirement fund. You believe your carbon monoxide detectors in your home are working every night. Do you all check those every night, 100% proof before you go to sleep? You don't even think about them, unless I make that dopey beeping noise. Other than that, you don't even pay attention to those things. You believe the airplane pilot is clean and sober and rested before you fly anywhere. Have you ever needed a breathalyzer test on your airplane pilot before you flew anywhere? No. Well, don't you need 100% proof? You don't. 
You don't ask for that in any other aspect of life. But then you say, well, I need 100% proof if I'm going to believe in God. That's not true. Tell the truth. I don't want to believe in God. That's what you really mean. If Jesus walked into the room and he performed miracles and said, okay, there you go. There's your proof. Follow me. Obey me. You still wouldn't do it because you don't want to follow and obey. And that, you wonder how I know that's true? Because that's what we saw when we studied the book of Luke from 2019 to 2022. Jesus raised dead people up and right there in front of people. And they all said, how do we get rid of this guy? Crucify him. Crucify him. Rahab makes a statement of faith. I know that your God has given you the land. Oh, you want 100% proof? I'm going to give you 100% proof. Anybody want 100% proof that God is real? I'll give it to you. Where's Israel? Where's Israel? In the land, just like Rahab declared by faith, in Joshua chapter 2, just like the prophet Ezekiel prophesied in Ezekiel 28, thus says the Lord, when I gather the house of Israel from the people among whom they are scattered, I will manifest my holiness on them in the sight of the nations, and they will live in their land which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live in it securely, build houses, plant vineyards, live securely when I execute judgment on all those who scorned around about them. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God." Like Rahab said, and like Ezekiel prophesied, where's the proof? You can book a ticket and hopefully get a sober pilot to fly you over there, and you can walk right into the land of Israel and look around, and there's your 100% proof. Well, like Rahab said, Israel had already destroyed all the nations on the other side of the Jordan, and everyone in her town is scared of Israel, and everyone in the land is scared of Israel. So, is that really what happened? Was she worried about Israel? Read verse 11. We heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any of them because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. There's our second statement of faith. The Lord your God, Yahweh your God, is God of heaven above and earth below. This is a key statement of faith. This is what she believes. And because she believes Israel's God, Yahweh, is the God, she's prepared to change everything in her life, sacrifice her entire world, because she believes that these people have the true God of heaven and earth on their side. Now listen carefully to the words of Jesus and the instructions of the Apostle Paul. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, or um, John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, and everyone who lives, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Jesus says again, Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes in me who sent me has eternal life and does not come unto judgment but has passed from death to life. Jesus said, believe in me and you get eternal life. And then the apostle Paul testifies, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. You will be saved for with the heart of a man, person speaks and resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. 
So the same thing that Rahab did, confessed with her mouth, believed in her heart, Yahweh is God of heaven and earth. We too, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we shall be saved. This is our salvation formula, so to speak. You hear the gospel message, the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, paid the death penalty for all of us, was buried, and then he rose again, and he's ruling in heaven, and when we die, if we've trusted in him, he will resurrect us and we will be with him. This is our gospel message. If we declare it by faith, if you declare by faith that you believe it, you become a child of God. Jesus is the son of God and he welcomes all who believe in him into his family. And then we become co-heirs with him in this eternal kingdom of God. That's what we're offering you today. The same declaration that Rahab made by faith. We declare to you today, listen carefully to Hebrews and then listen carefully to the words of John. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she welcomed the spies in peace. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, is it really what Rahab got? Did she really become part of the family of God? Or should she just not die in the destruction of Jericho? I wonder. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We got 15 minutes. Let's preach a genealogy. Matthew chapter 1. Going back to the beginning, folks, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I say going back to the beginning because first Sunday at Faith Bible Church, May 20th, 2007, first book we studied, first passage I preached was a genealogy. And that's what we started with. And I thought, well, I don't know what these people are going to think about their new pastor, but... This is what we're going to be about. We're going to study the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so we can learn what God has spoken. And look what we learned, Margaret, back in 2007. I know you remember. Verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz by who? Rahab. What? Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab the harlot. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, King David, who Jesus comes through the line of David, Abraham. What did we learn? That Rahab the harlot is the 16th grandmother, great-grandmother of Jesus Christ. Rahab literally is in the family of the Son of God. How did she get there? She declared all the way back in Joshua chapter 2, verse 11, Yahweh, your God, is God in heaven above and earth beneath. And the Gentile prostitute becomes part of the family of God by her faith. And listen to the promise that is made to us. John says about Jesus Christ, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So once again, what happened to Rahab can happen for all of us. Receive Jesus, accept him as Lord and Savior, become a child of God. You'll be in the family of God. This is the gift that Rahab gives us today. Lord, I would pray 
that each and every soul, each and every person here today would by faith say, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord of all. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. I believe he sits at the right hand of God. Forgive me, Jesus, of my sins. Make me a child of God. I want all of your promises, blessings. I want to be a child of God. Lord, we would just pray that everyone here today would recite that as you've given us that formula to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths as we've had so many people baptized who are willing to believe in their hearts and confess publicly with their mouths, may we see more and more people doing that. And may we see a great salvation come upon all these homes. We pray this in Jesus' name.